I want you to picture as Pen Benji pulls up this picture on the screen. screen. <clears throat> Two years ago, exact, actually in February of 2019, I went on vacation with some friends to Oahu. And uh, while we were in Hawaii, uh, one of my personal goals was to teach Violet, who's two years old at the time in, that, in, the, in the picture right here, uh, not to be afraid of jumping into the water. And so to prep her, we let her spend some time picking her favorite prettiest swimsuit. We got to have her try on those arms and chest floaties to feel the safety of it wrapping around her body and the fluffiness of it that it'll keep her buoyed uh, in the midst of the water. We taught her to watch her big brother, uh, Indy, whom she loves to copy, jump in first to show her that it's fine, it's fun, it's safe. And then, of course, I'm already in the water and I promise that I come and stand as close as I possibly can to the edge of the, the pool and I promise her I will catch you. You just have to jump into my hands and in fact, probably my hands are only about a foot away from her at the most. And so comes that moment where she is standing on the very edge, the lip of the pool itself. And in principle, she's excited to make that big jump. In practice, how do you think it worked out? Benji, pull up that next picture on the big screen. This is the face of a desperate and defiant two-year-old who's about to throw a fit where the word no is going to be repeated at an exponentially increasing deafening decibel in case anyone around her is not clear on how she feels about the matter. And it's sad because what's the point of all the preparation if it doesn't result in any implementation, right? And so we know that the same applies to our lives and to our faith. Why did we spend these 12 chapters in Hebrews talking about how we can trust Jesus in our suffering because he's better than anyone or anything? Well, to live it out, to implement that, right? To move us from thinking about trusting Jesus in our difficulties to living it. And so if you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to Hebrews chapter 13. We're in the final message in this series called Anchored, where we're discovering as turbulence in our lives causes us to drift from our faith, that Jesus is an anchor of hope for our souls. That for the Hebrew Christians back then and for us today, this letter is a call for us to hang on to Jesus because he's better than all the other people, pursuits, and possibilities in which we place our hope. And so you might remember in chapter 12 that we were being encouraged that we can run with endurance by fixing our eyes past our pain to our perfecter, Jesus, knowing that he's our joy on the other side of suffering and obedience. <laughs> and an invitation for us to come to the holy God at the mountain of faith instead of the mountain of fear because the blood of Jesus makes it possible for us to draw near to God, his strength, his promises, his power, his encouragement, that Jesus is a firm foundation so that when things in our lives are shaken, that we will not be shaken. Now, the big idea that we're working with here in chapter 13 this morning is that in the turbulence of adversity, that we are to live out our faith anchored in Christ together, that after 12 chapters of 
teaching us about the supremacy of Jesus in the face of trials and tribulations that we're challenged to put our money where our mouth is by living it out, living out that trust and obedience in practical ways in the real world, and particularly through the encouragement and accountability of the body of Christ together. So let's pick up Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor amongst all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So let's stop right there for a moment. Here we are. It seems like this string of commands that seem to have very little relationship to one another. But let's pick up the pieces and put them together. What the author is trying to say, what God is trying to say through uh, the man who wrote this letter. Verse 1, the Hebrew Christians receiving this letter, they already excel at showing the love of Christ to one another in peaceful times. But they're being reminded to let brotherly love continue in the family of Christ during painful times. That that's the expression of a life anchored in Christ. And yet we know that that's often the first thing to falter in the midst of our suffering or our situations. And you and I, we know what that's felt like over this past year. That in the midst of pandemics and political divides and personal problems, that it's easy for us to pull back from connecting and caring about other people. And so the point of this section, the connecting tissue between all these various commands is that if Jesus is our anchor in adversity, then we're to live that out, live out his love in community, in his community. And so the author emphasizes four practical areas to love others in the family of Christ that are very easy for us to neglect when our life and our faith are under stress. First two. So the first one is the area of hospitality to strangers. Now you have to understand back then that travel between towns in the first century was often difficult or dangerous. And so few things would demonstrate the grace of Jesus more than the generous provision of a warm meal or a warm home or a a safe harbor for those who are uh, passing through. And this verse tells us that as you do, it, it calls back to Genesis chapter 18 and 19 of these experiences that happened with Abraham and with his nephew Lot. That when you invite strangers into your home, that you may be hosting angelic messengers who are often uh, representing God himself, speaking for God. You might be hosting representatives and the speaking of God unaware. And so when we hear stories like that, when the the Hebrew Christians are reminded of biblical history when angels speaking for God, representing God, would come and visit people. It reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. When I, Jesus, was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, 
You clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And the people respond, well, when did we see you and do all these things for you, Lord? I tell you the truth that what you did for the least of my brothers, you did to me. And so we see that hospitality as we love on strangers with the love of Christ, that we're actually also loving Christ himself. And so we preach and practice as a church that the hospitality of Christ can turn strangers into friends and friends into family in Christ as we win people over with the love of Christ in an undeserved, gracious gift. The second area is to remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated, who are, look at verse two, verse, verse three, excuse me, who are also in the body, in the body of Christ. You see, during tough times, when we're too focused on our own problems, it's very easy to forget about followers of Jesus who are imprisoned or oppressed, both literally and spiritually speaking. When a believer has lost their freedom or their family or their finances or their future, when someone is enslaved by sin or anxiety or depression, when someone is oppressed by loneliness or abuse, sometimes within their own home. Well, I've got my own problems. And so they become out of sight and out of mind, especially as we shelter in place. And so what the Bible tells us here, what the author of Hebrews tells us is, as followers of Jesus are languishing in prisons or in pain, to remember them. That word there means to care for people's needs, to communicate to them, I'm in it with you. You're not alone. That when you suffer, we suffer as a family in Christ together. Thirdly, the passage counsels us to consider marriage and the sexual intimacy that belongs to it, only in marriage, that it is to be honored by all. Not just married people, so this isn't just speaking to married people, but I want you to think about it this way. Where are you and I most likely to compromise our integrity during those times when we're stressed or lonely or hurt, single or married? It's easier to seek comfort in inappropriate intimacy, in lust, in sexual involvement with someone that you're not married to, in pornography. Biblically, all of these things are considered adultery. The intimacy of marriage without the covenant commitment of marriage. And so we all need encouragement and grace and truth from one another in this particular area because we're very vulnerable to it during times of suffering. Lastly, the fourth one is that in Christ that we are to be content instead of coveting. That rich or poor, in tough times, it's easy for you and I to believe the lie that I can place my faith in my future in my finances when I'm stressed out or when I'm going through a tough time. That in, in relying on money, I can gain some sense of control when the world or my life is in chaos. And so I learn to rely not just on money, but on myself instead of God. And so the question is, well, how are we supposed to love and encourage each other to hang on to Jesus when troubles are tempting us to drift from him in these four areas? Look at 
the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. This is the key. For he, Jesus, says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We need to know that he'll be there for us. That he's, that that's irrevocable as our helper. Do you know that? And if so, what can people do to you? They could sue you. They could evict you. They could steal from you. Lie about you. Maybe imprison you like earlier in the passage. Or kill you. But just for a moment. But God is my help and my hope forever. So let's put some skin on it. Let's say that someone in your small group asks, you know, how do you fight sexual temptation during this season? I'm so isolated during shelter in place that I have no restrictions to curb my appetites, nothing to hold me accountable with my time or with my mind. And so your group might share some practical strategies, some practical wisdom and experience that they have. But also, we share from the promises of God that when you stand before your bed and your sin, that Jesus is with you. You're not facing it alone. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. That Jesus is standing there with you with his hand on your shoulder, not to condemn you, not to make you feel guilty, but to help you, to encourage you, to love you. And so when you feel that desire to download explicit content that will ruin your mind and your sexuality, when you feel helpless and out of control, he, Jesus, is your helper. And so you can turn to him for your strength, for your comfort. Or whether you are in financial struggle or financial security. We can remind each other, trust Jesus. Money may leave you or forsake you, but Jesus never will. Your portfolio won't necessarily help you, but Jesus always will. Or when there's a stranger in need, when there's a brother in addiction, in the prison of addiction, when a sister is being abused, Jesus is with you. Jesus will help you through this. And we, as the family of Christ, will gather around you as his hands and feet. Or, well, I don't know how to love or help a brother or sister who's suffering like this. Jesus is your helper. Come to him. Rely on him. Seek his heart and his wisdom to speak the love of Christ to one another. (coughs) So here's the mirror. Four areas of life that people tend to drift away from their faith in times of trouble. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you need to ask for help or support in one of these four areas? And how do you need to give this kind of help and support to someone in the family of Christ? Perhaps someone in your own small group. If Jesus is our anchor in our adversity, May we help one another to hold on to that lifeline in community. Make sense? But let's look further on in this passage. Doing the right actions without the right foundation is just shadows we've seen in Hebrews. It's just external religion. So let's get to the heart of what God is communicating to us here. Verse 7. 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 7. When we're blinded by our suffering, we can't look past it. Then we look to the example of faithful church leaders, those who taught the word of God to us. And think of it this way. As the Hebrew Christians back then faced persecution and pain, how meaningful it would be to them to see their own pastor or their own Bible leaders hanging on to Jesus when life hurts. To see both their example and their teaching pointing us to the truth, verse 8, that Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in a sea of changing circumstances, that he is constant and unchanging, eternal and reliable. That we can trust his power and his presence and his provision and his promises forever. Now, why would they, why would we need that kind of a reminder from our church leaders, from our church family in times of trouble. Verse 9. When you're in pain, we're vulnerable to turning away from the truth to almost anything else for some relief. And so for the Hebrew Christians back then, they were tempted to find hope in strange teachings about the power of food or having the right diet to, to change their circumstances. And so the author says to them, you need your heart strengthened, not by partaking or refraining from the right fruits, foods, in other words, what I can do, but you need your heart strengthened by grace, what God, what Jesus has done. And so verses 10 and 11, through Jesus, you and I can approach God, the altar of God, where we are nourished by him, that we can feast on the grace of his forgiveness and feast on the grace of his hope to give us strength in our difficult times, that none of these old covenant priests in the tabernacle tent could approach or eat those things like we can. That in fact, after they made sacrifices for sin, they didn't get to have leftover steak after the sacrifice. They had to take those lepters outside the Israelite camp and burn it. They couldn't partake in tasting the goodness of that sacrifice. And so verse 12, in the same way, Jesus was also sacrificed for sin outside the gate of Jerusalem on the hill of Calvary, separated from the camp of the people. Now pay attention. This is where it all comes together. The way he died and why he died 
makes all the difference. The way he died was outside the gate, outside the seeming comforts and security and familiarity of the holy city and its people, outside on the trash heap of Golgotha, willingly, sacrificially, lovingly. Why he died, look at verse 12, to sanctify people through his blood. What does that mean? It means to make us different from the rest of the world, right? Sanctify, to make holy, to set us apart so that we would be more holy and loving and sacrificial, to turn our values upside down because everything advertised in this world beckons us to move towards ease and comfort and to make paradise for ourselves here, to make us different from the rest of the world. There's an article in The Atlantic uh, entitled, Are We Trading Happiness for Modern Comforts? And it reports, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, that the average household income in uh, 2019 adjusted uh, for inflation has, is uh, more than it's ever been recorded across the board, across every income category, even though there's uh, increasing inequality in income that from the lowest bracket of income all the way to the highest, that across the board, the average household income has increased more than it's ever been recorded in um, American history. And that people are spending more on consuming goods and services. In other words, things that we don't need, but things that we want. And that in the last 10 years, uh, even the households in the lowest income bracket have increased their spending on eating out roughly about 22%. That federal spending on education and training and employment and social services has increased about 30% in the last 10 years. That new homes in 2016 have about a thousand more square feet than those homes that were bought in 1973. That in our time, that the living space per person has nearly doubled compared to what people used to live in. And yet, the general social survey, it's a measure that measures social trends in the United States, reports that from 1988 to the present, that there is a long-term ongoing decline in satisfaction and contentment and an increase in unhappiness. So one of the greatest paradoxes of American life is that amid all these advances in comforts and quality of life, that the average happiness has fallen significantly over time. They're on two opposite paths. You see, the temptation in moments of difficulty and duress is to live in the earthly city. Empty, shallow, comfort-seeking routines that some people call life. But verse 13 says, therefore, that means he's coming to a conclusion. Here's the application. The radical call of Jesus is to join him on the Calvary road, to go outside the camp, to bear suffering and reproach with him. So the point of this part of the scriptures, in fact, the point of all of the book of Hebrews is that if Jesus is our anchor in adversity, then our life's aim is to seek Christ, not comfort. To seek Jesus and his kingdom, not the comforts of this world together. Why? 
when you're already suffering hard times and heartache, why would Jesus tell the church family to encourage each other to sacrifice more? Why should we show hospitality to strangers, care for the imprisoned and the oppressed, to remain sexually pure, to find our contentment in Jesus instead of coveting in money? Why should we live sanctified, sacrificial lives that are different than the rest of the world? Verse 14, For here we have no lasting city. That instead of placing our allegiance and our priorities into a, the cities and values of this world, we seek what? It says in verse 14. Suffering? No. The city to come. Chapter 12, verse 22. That city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Chapter 12, verse 28. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our eternal home and our eternal joy with Jesus forever. That we want to be so utterly captivated by a destiny far greater than what this world has to offer. Jesus did not die to make the cities of this age, San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, and its suburbs, to make the cities of this age a paradise. He died so that you and I could could become the kind of person who stops pursuing paradise in the Bay Area, who stop trying to make this life your heaven on earth because we have something outrageously better that lasts forever. And so, if you live for the comforts, the entertainment, for escapes, if you live for yourself instead of Jesus, then this life is your heaven. This is as good as it gets. But if you belong to Jesus, this suffering that you're going through, this is as bad as it gets. This is your hell, and it only gets better from here. And so let us go to him outside the gate of pursuing health and wealth and prosperity. I love paradise. I loved going to Hawaii, but this isn't it. So if the aim of our lives is not to seek comfort or avoid pain, what should it look like? Verse 15. Through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls so that those who will have as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So as we come to Jesus outside the gate, as we join in his suffering and in his joy, we respond to that with sacrifices to his glory, not through the death of animals, but with our lips, with our lives. Now you should ask, be asking this question. Wait a minute. I thought we were done with sacrifices. What's the difference between 
the old covenant sacrifices of blood and food and the new covenant sacrifices of praise and doing good. Look at verse 15. The sacrifice of praise is the what of lips? The fruit. I want you to catch that. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit, not the root. In other words, it's not something that you plant to get something from Jesus. It's something that grows in response to Jesus. So I don't have to say the right words about God through my effort and through my ability and my morality, but that as I'm nourished by the love of Christ, by the grace and the truth of Christ, that my words begin to reflect that. That praise tumbles out from my lips like a ripened cluster of grapes. Verse 16, so along with the fruit of our lips is the fruit of our hands. So we also offer a sacrifice to God of doing good and in sharing what we have. Now this should remind you, like in brotherly, the brotherly love of Christ that we saw in verses one through six. And so the point of this section is that if Jesus is our anchor in adversity, then praise him with sacrifices of loving words and loving service together. Have you ever been around people like that? Who you know their treasure isn't here, but that their treasure is in Jesus and in his kingdom to come. They're so joyful and sacrificial that even in their pain, they can't stop talking about Jesus and how good he is. And they won't stop serving others for Jesus, no matter how bad things are for themselves. As we shelter in place, the temptation is to circle our wagons and only care for our family and friends, people you like, people like you. But instead, many of you as followers of Jesus trust God's provision today and his promises tomorrow. And it's shown by how you willingly and generously are praying for and paying for groceries for local families and even delivering them to families in need. Many of you have been doing that and not just giving them groceries, but accompanied by giving birthday presents or Christmas presents. One member also paid for the rent of of someone, a local family for a month. You've been praying for their heartaches and for their healings. And I'm reminded of my wife, Melissa. This past weekend, uh, actually a week ago, she dropped off groceries to a woman and her family last Saturday. And then as she checked in with this lady the next day, she was praying for her unemployment last Sunday. And then this woman excitedly called Melissa with news that she had recently been hired for a new job on Monday, the very next day. And immediately, Melissa said to her, I knew it. The woman, well, how did you know? Because I have every confidence that God would provide. You see that? The fruits of praise to Jesus alongside the fruits of service for Jesus. If Jesus is your anchor, are you bearing fruits of praise even in this season of adversity? And then how do you need to offer God sacrifices of your words that declare that Jesus is better than all the treasures and pleasures of this life? 
How do you need to offer sacrifices of service and sharing that, G- that declare that Jesus is better than what life can give you now and that Jesus is better than what death can take from you later? And as we honor Jesus with our lips and our lives, we're reminded in verse 17 not to forget our spiritual shepherds and spiritual leaders, that they carry a heavy responsibility to keep watch over our souls and are held accountable by God for you. During shelter in place, I know that many of them are struggling to keep their own heads above water while ministering to us. So as we offer sacrifices of praise and service, verses 17 through 19 also asks us to direct some of that to honor and encourage your, maybe your Bible study leader or your worship leader, your children's workers or your youth counselors, and to pray for them. The fruit of our lips and the fruit of our service to other people. As we close out the book of Hebrews, I want you to stay in the reality that there is many things pulling your heart and your life away from Jesus, causing you to drift from your faith. And I want to remind you in chapter 6, verse 19, that in Christ we have, it says, this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The picture of Jesus as immovable, anchoring us with his truth, with his grace, with his love to give us confidence and a future and fulfillment. In other words, to give us hope, to hold us steady, even when the wind and the waves batter us. In the turbulence of adversity, live out a faith that's anchored in Christ and do it together. Remind each other again and again that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, that he's my helper, and whom or what shall I fear? Because he's with us, because he anchors us, we can go outside of the camp and comforts of this world to a life of joyful and sacrificial declaration that says, when I can have it all, Jesus is better. And if I lose it all, Jesus is better. I know it's been a challenging season, so remember, when we feel the stress of the storm is when we learn the strength of our anchor. And so as you and I experience the reality of Jesus, it reminds me of that beautiful old hymn that reads like this. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I, ra- as I faced raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. Remember God's provision for you yesterday. Lean on God's presence today. Trust in God's promises for tomorrow. And whatever storms of life that you may face, May Jesus continue to be a better anchor of hope for your soul. Heavenly Father, we give praise to you for your deep love for us. We thank you for the astounding provision and presence and promises of you, our God. We love you. We give thanks to you. We praise you. We know that the reality of this season is more than just an inconvenience that we're being reminded again 
that our lives are not our own. We are not in control of our own destinies. That the seas of life can turn into catastrophic storms without warning. And yet, we do not fear because we have a firm anchor, a firm foundation, so that even when things of this world shake, we will not be shaken. And so we come to you today and ask that you would help us not to just think about the goodness of Jesus, to know the firm foundation and strength of Jesus, but to live it out in real ways in our real world. God, help us to love one another deeply. God, help us to not just think about loving each other or say that we love each other, but in the nitty-gritty of life, when people are in need of hospitality, when people are hurting because of literal or spiritual prisons and pain, when people are struggling with sexual integrity or relational purity, when our eyes want to fulfill our hearts with coveting and shopping online and more stuff instead of being content in Christ. Draw us back to the goodness of Jesus. Help us to remind each other of the firm anchor we have, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is our helper in times of trouble. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That instead of finding our meaning and our lives and our time and our energy and our attention and devotion poured into the comforts of this world, that we would go outside the camp to our fulfiller, to our perfecter. May we find peace and joy, confidence, assurance, and strength from the one who is an anchor to our souls, Jesus Christ, whom we praise, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give him praise. Amen.